Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I hope everybody's doing well. My name is Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me wherever you are. If you're in your truck, if you're about to start work, if you're already working, you can sit back and relax and listen to a, an old retired turfgrass professor talk about turfgrass stuff for the next hour. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming. We had a good time last night. That article last night from the team from Georgia on thatch management was uh, fun to go over. I like going over f articles that are written well. It's difficult for me to go through articles that are not written well. It's, uh, <laughs> it's unnecessary and I don't have fun doing that sometimes. But <clears throat> had a good time last night going over that article. Talked about, for those of you who missed it, it talked about uh, thatch management and I titled I think it was like thatch management in a bottle or something like that and indeed there are <clears throat> there are products that can do that that can help manage thatch without disrupting the soil or disrupting the turf but they have to contain a couple specific um, active ingredients and um, most of them don't so if you ever, I don't want to, I don't even know the names of some of these products, but I'll just, if I made them up, it'd probably actually be a brand name, Thatch X or something, or Thatch, Thatch Remove, or who knows what these things are called, Thatch X or Dthatch or whatever they are. Most of those things are complete, just a grift, complete nonsense, taking advantage of a lot of innocent people by selling those products. But if they contain Laycase, as we noticed last night, it might have a chance of having a benefit. But, and here's the key, even if the product contains Laycase, the enzyme that was shown to have a beneficial impact on thatch, a reduction, the reduction of thatch accumulation, even if it contains that, there was pretty clear evidence last night shown that it still has to go out at the right rate of Laycase. So if the labeled rate doesn't provide for the appropriate rate of lay case to result in a reduction, then it's still useless as we showed last night. So that was a fun paper. And we're going to go over two more papers from that same Georgia team over the next two or three weeks. And um, I think it's literally the exact same team. And they just continued to build on their work. They took it out to the field. They actually did it with two different grasses. And one of them was zoysia grass. And they still saw a benefit. I was surprised by that finding. So we'll get into those papers in the next week or two. But that was a fun paper. Today's paper is not as fun. It's, uh, I read it. I've read, read the paper several times. But something about the paper wasn't sitting with me, and it wasn't until later I realized why. And I'll explain that to you as we go through it today. We have a short little article um, from West, uh, West, from Washington State University Insider. This article was published November 14th, 2023. So just two days ago. And it's called, it's titled, Heavy Duty Grasses Could Replace Artificial Turf on athletic fields. This has been an ongoing debate back and forth for decades. 
about artificial turf and natural grass and, you know, all the injuries that are associated with both. And there's pretty good evidence indicating that the, um, the injuries that are sustained on athletic fields, there's a greater probability of that occurring on artificial turf. But I'm not a doctor in that regard, so I don't know. But I do, I do know that I've read some of the papers. And it's pretty consistent. The players prefer natural grass. Who was it? Lionel Messi? I think he had it in his has it in his contract now. He's not going to play on natural on artificial grass. He's only going to play on natural grass. I think it was. And there was some conf- there was some uh, conversation about you know whether that would encourage these artificial grass fields to go ahead and put in natural grass fields when they when he comes to town. And I don't think they have. I don't think they've replaced those fields or, or at least put in a temporary natural grass field. I don't think they did that, so he didn't play. So uh, it's it's uh, a difficult situation, you know, where you have uh, synthetic grass installers who are really good salesmen. They go in and just sell them all the stuff. We have a ba- our, our baseball field here at UK. The baseball field is artificial grass. Football field's artificial grass. So somebody got in up there, a higher administration, and got in their ear and convinced them this was best. And it may, and, artif- and there's there's a place for artificial grass. But on a baseball field, if you've ever seen a baseball game played on an artificial on the grass, and I mean, everything's plastic. The infield's plastic. The clay, where the runners, the base pass, those are brown plastic. There's no dirt. There's no infield dirt at all where the balls would normally roll or bounce, whatever. So when someone hits a, hits a ball... It bounces off that thing just like you'd think. I mean, it's like a trampoline. I don't know how they sold them on that, but man, they they get some good salesmen in there to sell them um, a whole whole spiel of all the benefits. And there are benefits to it. But good night. It's it's bizarre watching a game played baseball game played on plastic. It's really unusual the way the the ball bounces and the way the the, the dynamics of the of the game itself are strange. You get a you get a you know, the type of base hit that might bounce off of the outfield wall, it'll just bounce over that wall and go into a ground rule double, you know? Anyway, the point is, is that they're doing a lot of good, they're doing a lot of good sales pitches, selling these artificial grass fields. And like I said, there's a place for it. You know, I'm I'm not knocking that. There is a place for it. But um, when you have such an overwhelming um, push for natural grass fields, um, you know, you often wonder why it hasn't been changed, but I know these facilities have football and baseball and all these are just one event at a stadium. You know, they have events all the time. There was, when I was working down in Miami, the, the old Joe Robbie stadium, I don't know what it's called now, hard rock cafe stadium or something. I don't even know. They would have, you know, football game on it on Saturday or Sunday, depending on what's going on. And then they'd have like a tractor pull on Tuesday or Wednesday, or they'd have a concert on, you know, Friday night and then a football game on Sunday. So there's so much stuff going on in those stadiums to have one event being football, which is the, the major, you know, the major attraction in many cases. They may not just change it just for that because there's so many other things going on. I get that. But anyway, I digress. In the case of... um 
Oh, let me see who's who's here today. So Lush, Lush is here. Welcome, Striper Man, Gray, Wayne, Western Mass, Harper, UC Davis in Sacramento. Got we got a, a wide audience today. Brady four nineteen. Good morning. Harper Explorer says FIFA is requiring natural grass to, in two thousand twenty five forwards. SoFi Stadium is going to instant grow lights since the field is 220 feet below street level is that that's true the fifa is going to require natural grass from in the in the 2025 year and and forward randy from bulgaria welcome i, I didn't know that it's fantastic if that's the case um like I said, I can I can show you a very clear example of the of where natural grass, I mean where artificial grass is useful. <laughs> like for example, underneath my swing outside underneath the tree, <laughs> where I can't get anything to grow, and the people, the kids constantly just wear it down and wear it down and wear it down. Well, put in a little artificial grass strip there. That's a good spot for it. But I don't think when you have billion dollar um, industries like NFL and FIFA, and you got multi million dollar athletes running around on it tearing acls and it, it happens on all grass surfaces i get that but the probability is greater on art on natural grass fields They're clearly in the evidence that shows that um you, you would think they would be a little bit more mindful of of getting natural grass fields but anyway whatever anyway at washington state they have an article it's called heavy duty grasses could replace artificial turf on athletic fields and they have a picture here, probably of some grad students and uh, traffic. Oh, they have a traffic simulator here. This is there's many different ways we measure traffic artificially. This is one of them. If those listening, it's a pull behind tractor drum style traffic simulator where there's tines, little short little one inch tines, and it's it's a weighted pull behind. You know, I don't. I guess it's PTO. It looks like it's on a PTO. And it just, oh no, it's not on PTO. This is just pneumatic thing just raises and lowers these tires. Hydraulic lift. Anyway, we have to simulate traffic somehow. We can't ask the football team to come over and run up and down a, a practice on our on our research plot. So we have to simulate it somehow. And this is one of many different ways that we simulate it. There's probably 10 different uh, instruments that have been developed over the years to, to, rep uh, to uh, replicate traffic damage. Let me read this article. Researchers at Washington State University are stomping, poking, and gouging fields on experimental grasses to find the toughest living turf for future athletic fields. Working at parks and schools around the state, crop scientist Michael Neff and stormwater ecologist Kate Krasuski, Krasuski sorry, I'm mispronouncing her name, launched a two-year effort this fall to identify and breed hardy blends of grasses that can stand up to heavy constant wear. We've got to figure out a way to make real turf resilient enough to deal with the impact that comes with sports, said Neff, professor and head of washington state's grass breeding program backed by the washington state turf grass seed association and supported by six hundred ninety-five thousand dollars in funding from the state of washington neff and colleagues will plant sod fields next spring in puyallup mount vernon wenatchee othello prosser and pullman washington with grass blends selected for their ability to survive and self-repair under punishment so traffic you know they're going to subject it to a lot of wear and tear with some U.S. cities limiting use of artificial turf, yay! <laughs> let's let's uh, be wise about our decision-making process when it comes to the impact, potential impact on human well-being. 
at the end of the day, we're making money. We're, we're, it's a capitalist society. The, the, the sports are there to make money, period. That's it. But human beings are involved. And when it comes to human beings and their, the, uh, their well-being, there has to, that has to play into the decision-making process at some point. It can't just be all about money, right? Because at some point, if you're going to continue to wear down these athletes and tear them down, tear their ACLs and MCLs and all these things, because you have artificial turf, you're, you're going to make less money. Okay, you're not, you know, if, if Lionel Messi goes out there and tears his ACL because he's playing artificial turf, imagine the worldwide publicity that that would, that would generate, you know? So, you know, they say with some U.S. cities limiting U.S. artificial turf, Neff and Krasuski, sorry, I wish I knew how to pronounce that name, want to improve and promote living fields. As communities become more urban and we use our public spaces more frequently, we need grass to keep up with the demand we put on it. Krasuski, I'm just going to call her Kate. Kate said, grass can help our parks, play fields work harder for recreation and for our environment. Putting grass to the test. Heavy use damage, heavy use damages grass fields as many cleated feet rip up sod and destroy the roots. The damage is compounded by environmental stresses that differ on either side of the Cascades. So we're in Washington State they're talking about here. To solve challenges, Neff planted blends of grass with different strengths. Kentucky bluegrass, for instance, grows well in the inland west and can repair itself from rhizomes, its network of roots and underground stems. The research team will examine how well and quickly grass grows back after simulation, simulated wear, as well as its playability, how firm, thick, and safe it is to play on. The most resilient varieties will be incorporated into the Washington State Grass Breeding Program. To test the blend, scientists at Washington State Perennial Grass Breeding and Ecology Farm at Pullman roll out a menagerie of specialized equipment that simulates heavy use, among them an earth cannon that drops a metal probe to measure soil compaction. So I guess they're talking about the Clegg, the Clegg impact hammer. I guess they call that the earth cannon. I don't know what they call that. Excuse me. I don't know why they call it the earth cannon, but I guess it, you know, the, the Clegg impact hammer measures the amount of force and the, the, the compaction, you know, when it drops a hammer on the, on the soil. A cleated device that gauges torque needed to tear up sod and a tractor-toed cylinder um, studded with hundreds of metal bolts. I mean, if you haven't seen these things before, it almost looks like torture devices. Especially if you look at like sod tensile strength devices where we start we have to create a way to measure the force it takes to tear sod apart. It does look like, you know, like a you know, an Iron Maiden or something. We're trying to create, <laughs> you know, some torture device in a prison somewhere. If you're not, if you don't know what they look like, or you haven't seen seen how they're used, it does kind of look that way. You drag it across the field at a certain speed, a certain number of times, and it mimics the wear on a 50-yard line after a football game. Neff said, an assistant professor at the School of Design and Construction, Kate studies how hardy grass pavers can protect water quality in plazas and parking lots. At the turfgrass farm, she places heavy weights on grasses and gauges how well they filter an analog of stormwater runoff. The let's see, we're we're, we're still, we still don't know the full capabilities of grass in working landscapes. She said, I'm interested in grass as a friend to water. I gather data that helps planners and designers know what grasses can meet their needs. Nearly all, I'm gonna come back to this. Nearly all Kentucky bluegrass seed sown in the world is grown in the inland Northwest. This new project establishes research plots West of the Cascades, helping Washington state scientists gain new insights into Western Washington grasses. Washington is one of the largest producers of grass seed in the world. Kate said, we're working closely with the growers to better serve our state and the nation at large so we keep up our public spaces 
green and grassy, or we keep our public spaces green and grassy. The researchers plan to partner with parks, departments, schools, and, co and colleges across the state, helping organizations get more use out of their play fields and testing their ideas on a larger scale. Grass is everywhere, yet people rarely notice it, Neff said. I love working with grasses, trying to solve society's problems associated with grasses and lawns, and elevating its importance in people's minds. Now I'm going to come back to this paragraph because I find it this these stuff I just get a kick out of. I mean, I, very little <clears throat> humors me more than um, uh, <laughs> than this sort of stuff when it comes to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the world of environmentalists and and in capitalists, they just it just it just kills me. I I, I can't go by it without laughing. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I may have to get a, <clears throat> may have to get a napkin here. So we can go back to the, what she said here. Kate says, um, at the turf grass farm, she places heavy weights on grasses and gauges how well they filter an analog of stormwater runoff. So grass is filtering the runoff. And it says, we, she says, we still don't know the full capabilities of grass in the working space. I'm interested in grass as a friend to water. Okay. So <clears throat> here, uh, this professor is talking about using grass as a filter for pollutants and runoff, right? And in many locations, um, well, I'm used to Florida. So in many locations in Florida, actually, I think in every location of Florida now, when you build something new, parking lots and roadways, you have to build so much square footage or square acres of <clears throat> retention ponds or re not retention ponds, but they're like, uh, they look like a pond, but it's lined with Bahia grass usually. <clears throat> And it and it, the well, the water from the roads and rain water from just you know parking lots and things that it'll overflow sometimes and, and it'll roll it'll flow into those um, those depressed depressing depressed areas that contain usually bahia grass. And what gets me is a lot of times when they have these town meetings and they talk about oh we're going to build this community and we're going to build a golf course and we're going to do this and you guys are going to pollute everything and it's environmentally a hazard and you're going to cause all these problems. You got to you got to put in grass lined, uh, you know, retention ponds that'll retain that overflow and help filter out some of those nutrients out of the water before they go into the groundwater. You got to got to do that, and they do that. I think it's law, I believe. I may, I may be mistaken, but pretty much any new construction has to account for the max the, the flow of water, and it has to have so many square acres of this uh, retention ponds. And that's great. I mean, the the behavior grass doesn't need much upkeep. Um, it doesn't you don't need to apply anything to it in that in that setting it'll it'll it's very resilient in terms of um, its ability to withstand drought and so forth but what gets me is you want to use the grass in those settings to help uh filter out you know pollutants that are coming off the roadways pollutants coming off parking lots and things like the, all these impervious surfaces but for some reason there's a problem with turf grass in our lawns <laughs> it doesn't make any sense i mean like you it, turf grass is either a a, a good effective a, a, a filter of environmental pollutants or it is not it, it can't it, it's either one or the other right so if it is the case in in uh, water retention ponds the case where it's uh, filtering out pollutants like whatever it might be biological stuff coming off the roadways or or nitrogen or phosph phosphorus being in the rainwater who knows whatever's coming off the in the water if, if it is filtering that stuff out effectively and it's it's good at that well it's also good at that on your lawn too <laughs> maybe the person is not managing it correctly maybe the company's putting too much on that's another issue but the turf itself is perfectly <laughs> perfectly suitable for 
absorbing nutrients, absorbing potential pollutants that would have otherwise washed off into the waterway, right? I just get a kick out of that because she's talking about using it for that exact purpose. We're going to use it to help reduce the risk of environmental pollution and so forth. And then other people are saying, yeah, do that. That's great. That's fantastic there. Oh, yeah. We're also going to put turf grass over here on these people's lawns. No, don't do that. We have to have zero scape. We have to have native native uh, plants. All that, that can only be native stuff. Well, you can't have you can't have it both ways and 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 not be a hypocrite. I mean, you you know, it's just it's a hypocrisy that I just find hilarious. Okay, but anyway, that's good to see from Washington State that they're talking about, they're promoting and talking about uh, breeding grasses and testing grasses to withstand the the pressures and the stresses of athletic fields and potentially replacing some of these artificial fields that contain a lot of plastics. And they have a lot of problems on their own, right? A lot, And the idea that you know, the artificial turf doesn't require as much maintenance. I have never maintained an artificial field, but I know managers that have. And for the most part, I'm talking specifically like of the Miami Dolphins training facility that they have both. They have an indoor plastic facility and they have three or four outdoor fields of various turf grass, natural turf grass types. And I know that manager fairly well. And I asked him, I was like, give or take, I mean, is it, what's the management on these? You've been doing this, he's been doing it down there for 10, 15 years. He goes, give or take, it's about the same. It's just different. The, the, anyway, the, the, the resources and the effort to maintain an artificial turf, it's different than natural turf grass, but give or take, it's roughly the same amount of input. It's not, you're not going to, you know, according to him, and that's my recollection is that he's like, it's, you're not, you're not really, you know, going to net net save a whole lot. It's just it's just a different type of management that you have to do on the, on the plastic fields as opposed to the natural grass field. So this idea that you're going to save money because you don't have to mow it or you don't have to do this or do that. I don't know if there's a whole lot of uh, support for that. Okay. Now let's get into the article. Today's article is entitled the effect of management practices on thatch accumulation, turf quality and leaf spot damage in common Kentucky bluegrass. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, this article, when I read it, um, it always, it never really sat well with me. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't really, it's a, it's an okay article. Okay. I'm going to go through it. It's an okay article, but there's something odd about it. And I just want to mention that at the beginning, as I go through it and I'll explain why at the end, why, why I finally figured out, oh, that's why. Um, but as I'm reading, I'm just kind of, I'll give you some examples of what sort of doesn't sit well with me a little bit here and there. It's like, ah, so what, something's not right here. It just doesn't, something doesn't sound right. Um, now the, at the end of the day, I think the results are probably sound. I mean, they're probably solid results. It's just the way in which it was written and presented seemed strange. And I'm just going to say that as an example, because in the future, there's several articles that I'll get into that are the same feeling I have when I'm reading it. It's like something is just not right here. And in those cases, um, it's different than in this case, but in those cases, after I was reading it, I was like, man, that just doesn't sound right. I'm reading it and I find out that the authors are owners in the company or whatever that sell the product or whatever, or the authors have a vested interest in uh, maintaining the source of funding from the, from the funding company or whatever the case might be. And so you have to be aware of that when you're writing scientific articles, scientific articles are with, are not without flaw. They're not without bias. Uh, they, they do contain biases in many situations. We try to limit that, but sometimes it does creep in and, now, this is not a biased paper. It's just a sort of an oddly written paper. And I just want to use that as an example to broach that sort of topic of the, of the quality of the papers. You have to be aware of that when you're reading these things. 
Okay, so I'm not going to read. And basically, it's talking about thatch. This is written by Murray and Juska in 1977 in one of our top journals, and it was um, Agronomy Journal in 1977 by Murray and Juska. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing those names. The last name, the, the Juska. A limited amount of thatch is usually desirable because it provides some resilience to the turf, acts as a buffer that moderates soil temperatures extremes, reduces weed invasion, and increases wear tolerance. So there is a little bit of benefit to thatch. Um, I would I would agree with that. Excessive accumulation reduces the aesthetic value of turf, increases disease and insect pest problems, reduce water infiltration rates. Now we've we've looked at this. This is not entirely accurate. This um, water infiltration rate and causes shallow rooting. Um, this is what I'm talking about when it says causes. You, this is one example. I'll say cause shallow rooting. We that's when I read that I'm like we can't say something causes something. I, as I mentioned before, no doctor is going to say smoking causes lung cancer. So for sure in agriculture, and that's in the that's in medical world where they have a lot of uh, data and a lot of research. And even now, they will not say and they cannot say that smoking causes lung cancer. So for sure in agriculture, where, culture where we have very little uh, data and evidence relative to human medical science, we can't say <clears throat> excessive thatch causes shallow rooting. So it's just something that caused, set me, set me, didn't sit right with me. I'll get back to some of these other, some of the language. Excessive thatch also causes development of an uneven surface that increases the opportunity for scalping and thus reduces turf grass quality. This is actually, um, uh, I don't know if it's in the literature, but I've seen this many times. I remember one time we were at, I was at the um, the UF golf course and I went on the putting greens and they had all the, all the little holes, they just aerified and all the holes where the aerification was, every single hole <clears throat> had a little ring of scalp around it. And I'm like, what is this? What is going on? And I walked out on it and it was very soft, right? And I think, uh, I don't know if this is true. This is all, all anecdotal. But I think what had happened was, is that tine was punching through the green and pulling up the turf. It was pulling it up a little bit because it was so thatchy. It wasn't staying rooted down, staying close to the soil. So it, it would hit it. The, the, the tine would, would pull a core out. And when the, when, the, when the tine came out, it would lift that turf up just a tiny bit. And then when the mower came by and cut it down, it started scalping off all the little areas around that airification hole. That was my that was my evaluation or my assessment of the situation there, and I think it was a, as a result of of a great deal of thatch accumulation on those greens. So when they say here it can cause scalping, I tend to believe that um, thatch accumulation. And I'm sorry, I've highlighted a lot of this. Um, so I'm just going to read through it because a lot of this is I j I've just got to read through this article. You'll all, you'll see why. Thatch accumulations because of, uh, uh, thatch accumulates because of an imbalance between production and decomposition of organic matter. We've talked about that. You know, if you have a lot growing on top and it's not decomposing at that rate, you're going to have accumulation. Any factor which causes production of vegetative matter to exceed its decomposition rate in turf could result in the development of thatch. Exactly what we've been talking about. Either an increase or decrease in microbial activity and breakdown of dead plant material obviously affects thatch production. See, obviously. I've never seen this word used in a scientific literature. You know, it seems so we're using causes shallow rooting. A material obviously affects that. That that's what's re referred to as personal incredulity. So just because you're personally incredulous that it that it couldn't happen any other, any other, way, any other way doesn't mean it's obvious that it will happen. So it's just strange that they would use that word. Obviously affects. I've, I've never seen that. We wouldn't say that. Starkey and Satchel, these the two uh, authors, reported an, a reduction in activity of microorganisms in acidic soil. 
Martin and Beard, working with Red Fescue, found that microorganism activity as measured by CO2 evolution, so the respiration of the microorganisms through CO2, was maximum at pH of 6. Okay, so these, these two authors found that microbial activity was greatest at 6.0 pH. Reduced earthworm populations and increased thatch are commonly observed under acidic soil conditions. And he has a citation for that. Satchel, uh, I don't know what year this is. This was a different format back then. Reported that earthworm populations were limited by the amount of organic material present and not by the amount of, they consume. So what he's talking about is all the factors that are affecting uh, and the literature have shown to affect thatch accumulation because he's actually going to show this in this paper. Lignin in plant tissue affects its decomposition rate. Martin reported that clippings are low in lignin and do not contribute to long-term thatch accumulation. So here's another article that thatching that clippings do not contribute. This article is going to show something different. Meinhold et al. reported that clippings did not influence the dry weight of thatch layer, but significantly influenced the depth of thatch accumulation. So here's an article that shows that it affects depth, but not weight. Remember what I said just last night and maybe the day before? Thatch is not one size fits all for, for uh, solutions or management practices. You should do this and it's going to do that. That's, that. That doesn't happen with thatch. You should, you should top dress and you should airify because, because so-and-so did it in, in Virginia and you're in southern Louisiana. Well, that doesn't always work. It does work in other areas like mowing height, like nitrogen applications, like water use and so forth. There's certain things that we can take from one location and move to another, take from one turf grass and move to another turf grass. We can, but with thatch, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes airification works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes top dressing works, sometimes it doesn't. Okay, sometimes um, lay case works, sometimes it doesn't. Okay, so we, we, it, 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 you're going to see this. He's, he's saying that these authors found this, these authors found that, these authors found that, and we're going to find in this article it differs. Okay, in Bermuda grass, putting greens, putting green residues from clippings increased lignin and decreased microbial activity by seven percent. Also observed was a decrease in thatch accumulation from application of milorganite compared with ammonium nitrate. So he's he's making a case here. He's we're going to have milorganite in this study. We're going to talk about today. And he's saying from prior work, prior work has shown that thatch accumulation was decreased following the application of milorganite compared to ammonium nitrate. So he's justifying the inclusion of milorganite in this study for further research because they showed, somebody else showed it, it, it showed a reduction. And there's really not a, um, a biological explanation as to why milorganite would result in a reduction in thatch. It should, it should result in an increase in thatch because of its nitrogen content compared to ammonium nitrate. I don't know. I have to look up that study. Maybe they, maybe they balanced the end. I don't know. Top dressing with soil has been the most effective thatch control practice, but it is not economically feasible on many turf grass areas. Turf grass and vertical mowing were e about equally effective in controlling thatch and bent grass. And this is pretty much the case. If there is one thing you can say in general, you're probably going to be better off doing it's probably top dressing and verticutting for thatch removal or air or a combination of that and airifying it probably some combination of that is probably going to give you some beneficial result but again i can't always say that annual lime applications and airification core airification were desirable practices and wetting agents appeared to increase thatch development in this particular study there in the, in the literature they, they're showing that someone else found that wetting agents increase thatch development the Lettebauer uh, 67 or 67, I can't remember, 67 paper, we already talked about that, obtained no significant increases in thatch de um, decomposition from treatment combinations of limestone, gypsum, 
sucrose and nitrogen. Okay. So we talked about that paper. There wasn't any uh, benefit to thatch decomposition. Most thatch related research has been conducted on golf courses or intensively managed turf. The purpose of the study was to determine the effectiveness of several turf grass management practices alone or in combination in preventing thatch accumulation in Kentucky bluegrass. And again, not a real, not a real strong ob objective or hypothesis to determine the effectiveness. I mean, I can, you know, it's not bad, but how do you, how do you define effectiveness? Well, we define it this way. Okay. Well then put it in the objectives, put it in the hypothesis. You don't, I don't, there's, so there's less ambiguity is, is the effectiveness reduction in thatch depth? Is it effectiveness reduction in thatch mass? You know, write it in the, in the hypothesis and materials and methods. So it's clearly falsifiable. Okay, an, an area of this area was fumigated with methyl bromide da, 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 in South Dakota common Kentucky bluegrass. So that's the turf grass we're using, South Dakota common Kentucky bluegrass. In 1963, the site is a whatever, Chualka, silt, silt loam soil, pH of 5.5. So we're in an acidic soil, not super low, but 5.5, and it tested medium to high with in phosphorus and potassium. Ammonium nitrate was applied uniformly at one pound of N per thousand as needed with, uh, I guess it'd be four to five pounds of in annually to maintain a moderate growth rate. Phosphorus and K were added. Okay, I'm not gonna go into that. Um, clippings of grasses at each mowing that were, that were or were not removed from the plots constituted the main treatment. So they removed clippings or they did not remove clippings. And we're gonna see the effect on that, that factor. Three lime treatments were assigned. Lime was uh, applied as needed, uh, applied, okay, according to the soil test. Lime was applied twice a year. So it was applied as needed. It was applied twice a year in March and October, or was or there was no lime added. So there was three lime levels. As needed, twice a year or none. Six management treatments were, were applied. There was a there was um a check with with no no treatment, so non-treated. There was a, a, a treatment where they airified with, I guess, a third uh, third inch diameter on two inch depths and two inch centers of airification. And the cores were broken up and put back in. Vert and the, the, another treatment was vertical mode. Thatch was brought to the surface of the turf with a vertical mower with blades spaced one inch apart and, and was removed from the plot. So they vertical mode. They also hand raked was a treatment. They also applied a wetting agent as a, as a, as a treatment. They also, and the wetting agent was AquaGrow. I don't know if that probably doesn't even exist nowadays. Another treatment was mill organite applied at, uh, looks like five and a half or six pounds per thousand square feet. I'm assuming it's mill organite. That's, that's the mass, not, not per nitrogen or of nitrogen. I think that's the actual total amount of mill organite. And then all sub subplot treatments, uh, except for the wetting agent were applied once in late March and early April. And again, in October, the wetting agent was applied in April, June, August, and October. Treatments began in March 1964 and continued through October 1972. So we're talking about an eight-year study. Turfgrass quality was rated on a basis of color and density, um, one to nine. Disease ratings were made. Thatch accumulation was evaluated by comp computing computation of weight after ashing of the thatch layer at seven intervals during the test. So they, they, they did it by weight loss on ignition. They, they, they measured thatch by weight loss on ignition. And if you remember from the paper we talked about with me that I published, we had, there's four or five different ways of measuring thatch and weight loss on ignition. Well, I'm going to bring that paper out right now. Weight loss on ignition is one of the, one of the methods when you see organic matter percent right here, I'm looking at my paper. Now you see the variation on weight loss on ignition. 
here's an organic matter here on the, on the next turf grass. You see the variation is tremendous with weight loss on ignition. Okay. We have a lot of variation relative to measuring it with a ruler where we see what we would expect to see is thatch growth over time in terms of depth. We see, and we like to see some consistency and precision in the measurement method. We see that when we measure it by depth. We don't see as much when we measure it by weight loss on ignition. You'll see another uh, turf grass up here, the same thing. We see a very nice, clean increase in thatch uh, depth using measuring it by a ruler or caliper. With very little variation relative to measuring it by weight loss on ignition. So keep that in mind. That's the reason I went over that paper earlier of mine. Keep that in mind. The method in which they did this is greatly variable. Okay. And it and at least on the paper I showed with me, there was cases where we know the thatch was increasing. Like right here. We know this thatch was increasing. We have it right here measured in depth. But we don't see the thatch increase in terms of measurement by weight loss on ignition. You see what I'm saying? These lines, these, these uh, thatch measurements over time didn't gradually increase, but when we measured the depth, it did. So just keep that in mind. I'm not saying that these, these results are invalid. I'm just saying you have to look at it within that context is that the method they used has a lot of variation and it might not necessarily show, uh, an increase in thatch. It might not show that even if there was. So just, you have to read that within that context. Okay. It doesn't invalidate anything. I'm just saying you have to, you have to be aware of how they did it and the, and the, the usefulness of that method. Six subplot treatments were discontinued after fall. So they, what they did was they, they did this for eight years and then they did thatch determinations that were again obtained 14 months after the study ended. Okay. We're going to talk about that briefly. So the results in discussion, D the differences were not significant among the treatments or between any treatment and the check during the first five years of the study. So they did the study for eight years. They're looking at um, verticutting, they're looking at airifying, they're looking at liming, they're looking at nitrogen from milorganite, looking at wetting agents. And for the first five years, they saw nothing happened with thatch, which is ex not unusual. It's not, it's, you know, I, I talked, I gave a story the other day about the thatch problem we've developed, we found in the, the villages in, in North Central Florida, where they put in zoysia and it was perfectly fine for the first five, well, four years. And then they started developing problems. They couldn't figure out why. Well, it took that long to develop the thatch. It took five years, four or five years after installation before thatch was developed to the point where there was causing a problem. And in this case, they did this study for eight years. And they didn't have any differences between these treatments for the first five years. As I would, yeah, the first five years. It was only after that when the, apparently the thatch had developed to such a degree that they started seeing differences in the treatments designed to help alleviate thatch. Okay, so it's 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 very this happens quite a lot where we didn't see any differences in um, nitrogen applications. Well, you did it on a turf that's of nine on the color scale. There was that that video that I showed the other day where there was a gentleman talking about iron applications on his lawn or whatever, liquid iron or whatever. You're not going to see the turf grass increase in color when it's already at its max. You have to have a, a setting. The turf grass has to be in a situation where it is conducive to seeing a response from whatever treatment you're putting out. So in the case of thatch, you're not going to see an influence on thatch if there's no thatch. So that goes for the future studies that we're going to go over. Well, we didn't see any differences here. Well, well one was the turf grass... Uh, appropriate for that treatment response you have to look at it we didn't see any uh, response from applying phosphorus on these um, soils okay well what was the phosphorus in the soil 
it was 80 parts per million, 93. Well, you're not going to see a response when the phosphorus is that high. You have to do it on soils that are low. <laughs> so it's the same thing here. They didn't see a response for the first five years. It was only after the thatch developed that they see it. So that's, keep that in mind as you critically read through some of these papers. Just because there was no difference doesn't mean the product was useless. It might, might have been that the setting wasn't appropriate for that product. Um, thatch accumulation in common Kentucky bluegrass turf tended to increase for the first five years of the experiment without becoming excessive. Now, for a normal layman's language and speech, the word tended doesn't probably mean anything. It's probably normal language. But we don't use that language in scientific literature. Tended to. I could say anything tended to. I tend to be hungry around 11. Well, I tend to be hungry around 12. I tend to be hungry around 1. The turf tends to look green in the wintertime. Well, it tends to look green. I mean, the word tended is a, a, a clever way of smuggling in significance when none exists okay so when you see the word tended when you're when we're developing our critical thinking skills and our critical reading skills of these papers when you see the word tended to or the phrase tended to do this what that means is nothing happened but this might have we might have seen something happen here we don't say that in scientific literature very much that's not appropriate okay it either resulted in a response or it did not full stop okay so this again, I'm just saying this as an example. When I'm reading this, I'm like, what? Tended to. And so and they already and I already heard one, what was it, one thing up here where, oh, it caused shallow rooting and it obviously affects that. And so you can see kind of where I'm going. It's just something that didn't sit right with the way this was written. And it's just I'm just not comfortable with it. I'm like, eh, something's off. So it tended to increase the first five years. Okay. Uh the thatch is usually not. A problem in Kentucky bluegrass turf until several years after seeding, which I'm, I'm all for that, no problem. The differences in thatch accumulation among treatments were significant during the last three years, okay? Grass clippings that were left on the turf contributed to thatch buildup during the last three years of the study, Table 1, okay? We've shown from many other papers that um, leaving clippings on the grass don't contribute to thatch buildup. This, this paper shows that it did result in a, an increase in thatch buildup. I'm going to show Table 1 in a minute. Our results disagreed with Martin's conclusions that clippings did not contribute to long-term thatch accumulation. In our study, there seemed to be a critical depth of the thatch layer, approximately three-quarters of an inch or 15.5 grams of organic matter per 28.6 square centimeters of turf, at which clippings did not decay rapidly and therefore contributed significantly to the thatch buildup. Okay. At a lesser depth, Clippings either came in contact with or were in close proximity to the soil. In this environment, clippings decayed rapidly due to good, good microbial activity and added a little and added a little to the thatch layer. They didn't measure microbial activity, so they don't know. Again, good, good microbial activity. It's just like, what's your definition of good? What do you mean good? How do you know that good microbial activity was even there? Did you measure it? No, we didn't measure it. Well, then how do you know? Again, just something didn't feel right. But what they're saying is where the, where, the, where the turf grass was in contact with the soil, it broke down rapidly. Where it wasn't, it didn't. During the last two years of the experiment, removal of clippings reduced leaf spot damage, but clippings not removed increased turf quality. So I'm, let me go back to table one here and just show you real quick what they're talking about when it comes to grass clippings. So table one, for those listening, I'm looking at uh, table one. If I can get it on the screen, I will. If not, then I'll just have to zoom out. Um, <clears throat> table one. Okay, 
is the clipping residue effects on thatch accumulation, leaf spot damage, and turf quality in common Kentucky bluegrass. And the, the, on the left, we have the clipping treatments. So either the clippings were removed or they were not removed. And then we have thatch weight um, by or, um, or the thatch weight organic matter. And then we have leaf spot ratings and turf quality ratings. And what you see in 1968 is whether the clippings were removed or not removed, we don't see any difference in thatch weight of organic matter here, A's and A's. And A's. But then if the clippings were not removed, we see an increase in thatch weight of organic matter um, when the clippings were not removed in each of the following years in 1970, 71, and 72. You see an increase in the thatch weight of organic matter. Okay, now that, that um, increase from when you, the, clip, the clippings were, were, were not removed <clears throat> was seven, basically seven-ish, seven-ish percent, seven to 10 percent increase in organic thatch weight organic matter when the clippings remained on the plots. Okay, so it might be biologically significant. Certainly they show it's statistically significant here. The leaf spot ratings, when the clippings were removed, the leaf spot ratings were, went up but the leaf spot ratings went from 4.2 to 5.9. And maybe that's significant. They say it's statistically significant. And the turf quality ratings, when the clippings were not removed, were higher. Okay, so if you're looking for evidence to support the use of remaining clippings remaining on the plots to increase turf quality, here's a little bit right here. It goes went from 5.6 to 6.7, went up a full unit in 1972 by leaving the clippings on the uh, plots. And when the clippings were also were uh, left on the plots, the leaf spot damage was down. I don't know if I said that backwards a minute ago or not, but when the clippings remained on the plots, the quality was higher and the leaf spot damage was lower. But the thatch weight organic matter uh, was greater. So that's a little influence on clippings. If we go to the other table, if I can fit it on here, yeah, I can. I'm going to go ahead and do table two since I'm right here. Effects of soil pH and two lime treatments on thatch accumulation and turf quality in common Kentucky bluegrass. Okay. We have. Uh, the lime treatments in this case, we're looking at no lime, we're looking at applying lime as needed, or we're applying lime twice a year, okay? And you see the soil pH, if you didn't do anything, was 5.4. Remember they said at the beginning that the soil pH was 5.5, and they measured here, as average was 5.4. So it didn't change, they didn't do anything, and it's still 5.5, basically. And when you added lime as needed, it went up to 6.8, and when you added lime twice a year, it went up to 6.4. So we're in the mid to, mid to high sixes following the application of lime. The thatch weight, uh, Organic by organic matter, what they're saying here, in the non-treated, they didn't do anything to it, was 16.5 grams. And when they treated it with lime and the pH went down, the thatch by weight went down in both the as-needed lime application and the twice-a-year lime application. It went down statistically from 16.5 to 14.9, basically to 15. It went down from 16.5 to 15 grams per 28.6 square centimeters by applying lime. Remember, we showed another another study in the past that used lime and didn't show any effect. But in this case, the pH was five, was in the low fives. They limed it, and they did show an effect of thatch reduction. And the turf quality is probably what we're more interested in. When you didn't do anything, the, the pH was 5.4. The turf quality was 4.5. And the turf quality went up to 6.2. Now, they didn't identify the minimum acceptable limit on turf quality in this paper, but I'm assuming, let's assume it's six. It could have been five for all I know more than likely this check was not acceptable this 4.5 was not acceptable in terms of turf quality but when they lined it the turf quality went up to an acceptable limit okay so this is um 
the case where, in fact, I just had a conversation yesterday or the day before yesterday with a gentleman, and we were talking about his pH ratings and pH is this and pH that. Well, if your turf grass is fine, I'm not worried about it. In his case, he had a newer a construction um, plot uh, homes that had unacceptable turf grass and the pH was low. In those two situations where the pH is low, I don't care about it. But if the turf quality is unacceptable, you can see here 4.5, then I do care about the pH. I do. I mean, if, if it is indeed 5.4, there's a potential that this could be enhanced by the application of lime. But if the soil pH was 5.4 and the turf quality was 6 or 7, then I don't really care. Okay. And this, this is going to be a, a consistent theme throughout, my, throughout the channel. Turf quality or the, the, the perception of the observer, the, the observer, if it's okay with them, then it's okay with me. And whatever the pH is, is what the pH is. doesn't make any difference. It's when the observer determines it's not acceptable to them subjectively. Then we start looking and trying to diagnose it and saying, okay, well, oh, well, pH is 5.4. That, that might be something you want to look at. And in this case, when they, when they raised the pH, they also resulted in a, a, an increase in turf quality and a reduction in turf and thatch weight by um, organic matter. Okay. <clears throat> Let's continue. The uh, removal of clippings reduced leaf spot damage. I already showed that. Okay. All right. Now. We're going to get into the clipping residue management treatment effects on thatch accumulation in common Kentucky bluegrass here. Okay. Um, let me just read this down here. Both lime treatments significantly reduce thatch accumulation. We just showed that, but the difference between the lime... Okay, we just showed that. I'm going to skip through that. Our data suggests that sustaining soil conditions favorable for high populations of soil microorganisms could influence thatch buildup more than could changes in thatch layer brought about by low lime applications. Once thatch buildup reaches a certain depth, other environmental factors such as moisture might become more important than, than the pH of the thatch. Now, again, you, you, you might just read that and go, yeah, okay, whatever. But when I read this as a, as, a, as a scientist, when you read the sentence, it just says, our data suggests that sustaining soil conditions favorable for high populations of soil, soil microorganisms could influence thatch buildup. I don't... I don't like, how did you, you, you didn't measure microorganisms. <laughs> you don't know what happened with the population of microorganisms. You're just saying, well, when microorganism activity has been shown to decline in these soil pHs, that's true, but that doesn't mean it happened in your case. You know, you, and I get it. You can't measure everything in the soil. You can't have the foresight to know exactly what's going to happen and measure everything. So everything's accounted for. I get that. But to, to, to use that as a validation or defense to what you found is curious. Like you should, you should keep the soil pH in this zone because it keeps the microbes more active. Well, you, that might be true, but it might not be true. And you're saying that as a matter of fact, it just seemed, didn't sit right with me. And the next sentence, the next paragraph really, that I colored it yellow. Cause I'm like, what? The interaction between lime and clipping treatments was not statistically different, but thatch accumulation tended tended to be greater on plots not limed and from which clippings were not removed and then data not shown tended to observations of clipping this one really got me here observation of clippings on the plots at various times after mowing led us to believe that decomposition of clippings was slower on plots without than with lime that's a that's a bad paragraph guys i'm sorry all due respect to the authors that is not 
appropriate in scientific literature tended to be better we observed stuff on the plot so therefore that probably happened we think that's what happened because we saw this and if it's not measured and you're just observing something we saw well i can i can anecdotally say anything you know and and, and come up with any excuse or any explanation just off the top of my head what i want to know is what did you measure this is not a periodical this is not some you know just you know jibber jabber you're talking to your buddies over a beer this is scientific literature there needs to be some sort of bare minimum you know filter on stuff like this and it just didn't sit right with me both lime treatments increased turf quality part of this increase could have resulted from reduced thatch but the problems in turf culture associated with acidic soils are well documented Response to fertilizer applications was very poor, and moisture stress symptoms appeared first on turfgrass grown and check plot. Um, oh yeah, here's another one. Examination of the thatch soil profile and soil moisture determinations obtained when moisture stress symptoms appeared led us to conclude that failure of root growth in acidic soil was the major factor influencing turf performance. Well, they didn't measure roots. Okay? You didn't measure roots. So you can't use that as a justification for your for your results or an explanation for your results if you didn't measure it you can't just say well we think this is what happened because we saw it measure it put it in the document and then you can say that airification by coring in 1970 and airification vertical mowing and handrake in 1971 and 72 significantly reduced thatch accumulation the use of a wetting agent did not effectively reduce thatch accumulation during any sampling period any sampling year and the addition of organic matter by milorganite increased thatch formulation. The addition of organic matter, the amount of organic matter you're applying with milorganite is very low. I mean, granted, I think you're applying four or five pounds of the product, but it's saying the organic matter in milorganite increased thatch formation in 1970 to 72. It seems, well, I'm not sure they can say that. Examination of sod plugs revealed substantial differences in relative depth of the thatch layer on air on airified vertical mode and check plots in November 1972. Remember, they didn't measure the depth of the thatch with a ruler, but they say here, examination of sod plugs revealed substantial differences in relative depth of the thatch layer, but they didn't measure the depth of the thatch layer. Okay, I'm not sure how they got this in, to be honest. And they show this figure up here. Okay, so this figure, and what I'm looking at now is, is a figure with three plugs of turf grass pulled from the plots, okay? And it says, thatch accumulation in common Kentucky bluegrass turf, aerified vertical mode, and received no thatch control treatments for eight years. Okay, so we have one plug that says it was aerified underneath it, one plug that was verticut, and then one plug that had nothing done to it. And you can visually see the thatch layer on the check, whereas the, uh, the other plot, the other plugs that we're looking at are shorter. The thatch accumulation appears to be of less depth, right? Appears to, that there might be a little less thatch there for sure, but I don't care what it appears to be. Okay. <laughs> okay. What I care about is what it was. Measure it, put it in the paper. Don't just show me a picture because this is what everybody does on Twitter. Okay, this is what everybody does on, on YouTube and Facebook or whatever else. They show you pictures of this stuff, and we're, we're supposed to believe that it's, that it's true and that this is what actually happened. It might be true. If it's true, measure it. Put it in the paper. Okay? Don't just show me a photo of, of plugs and tell me this is what it was. I don't know what that depth is. I don't know if that picture is skewed or wrong. I have no idea what happened. So put it in the paper. All right, sorry. 
Uh, when clippings were removed, thatch accumulation was significant, significantly lower under all treatments except verification and use of wetting agents. So when clippings were removed, thatch accumulation was lower. When, thatching, when, that, when clippings were included, it was greater. The average thatch weight when clippings were removed and not removed indicated that aerification resulted in the least amount of thatch following, followed by hand raking and verticutting. Thatch probably accumulated least on aerified plots because micro, microenvironmental conditions were favorable for growth of microorganisms responsible for decay of organic matter. Now, see, I'm okay with that sentence. Why, why am I okay with that sentence? Thatch probably accumulated least on aerified plots. So you're postulating. You don't know, and you make that clear. It probably probably did. We don't know. But in the prior language, he was saying, this is what happened. I'm like, well, you don't know that's what happened. You didn't measure it. In this case, it's likely that it could have occurred. Or you can say something with a little softer language, and I'm okay with that. Vertical mowing and hand raking were used to physically remove thatch, and aerification was used to increase decay. So that's why they did it. They used the aerification to basically mix the, the thatch with some soil to increase the, the rate of decay. And vertical mowing and hand raking were used to physically remove that. And in general, I would say that still, still holds true today. Vertical mowing and hand raking resulted in immediate thatch removal. However, they have been shown to cause an increase in tiller, tillering of the grass, which eventually results in increased thatch production. <laughs> so I'm going to come back to this in a second. <laughs> so this... I'm sorry, man. This this pair. I should have highlighted this one too. Red. Oh Lord. Okay. Let me get let me get to this. I'm gonna try to say this without laughing. Okay. Let me let me. Okay. Give me a straight face. We gotta get back in character now. Okay. Here we go. Ready. Vertical mowing and hand raking resulted in immediate thatch removal. However, they have been shown to cause an increase in tillering of the grass, which eventually results in increased thatch production. Thus, once vertical mowing and hand raking are used to remove thatch, they probably will have to be used annually if steps are not taken to increase biological decomposition. <clears throat> okay, now this... <laughs> Hang on a second, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> this, is one of the, <laughs> this is one of the worst paragraphs ever. Oh my God, this is funny. I'm sorry. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I got to get, hang on. I got to get myself back in, back in context here. All right. So what he's saying is, is that, okay, hold on. I got the giggles. Hang on a second. Oh Lord. What he's saying is, okay. <clears throat> if you verticut and rake the lawn <clears throat> to remove the thatch, it might result in increased thatch production later on. And therefore, you may have to do it regularly to remove the thatch. <laughs> so, the, the, this paragraph is basically saying the same, the equivalent of this. <clears throat> your lawn, uh, your new house has nothing but dirt. Do you want a lawn? Yeah, I want a lawn. Well, I can plant seed and put grass in your lawn, but if I plant grass in your lawn, you're probably going to have to mow it. Really? I mean, Jesus Christ, people. I mean, of course you're going to have to mow it. If I plant this grass, you're probably going to have to mow it. And if you mow it, you're probably going to have to mow it again. Yeah. And then after you mow it that second time, it's probably going to increase the density and you're probably going to have to mow it again. 
So in this sentence, they're saying once you vertical mow and hand rake, if it increases the growth, it increases the thatch in the future. You're going to remove it, and then it's going to increase. You're going to have to do it again. Yeah, no joke. I mean, <laughs> it's that's horrible. I'm sorry. Of course you're going to have to do. I mean, if if you have tall fescue, no. If you have you know bahia grass, no. These are not thatch really producing turf grasses. But if you have Kentucky bluegrass, or you have zoysia grass, or you have some of these stoloniferous and rhizotomous growth habits, you know, lateral growth habit grasses, and you're growing it in a, in a, in a way that is, you know, increasing its growth rate and it's looking good or whatever, it, it may eventually develop into thatch. So what are you going to do? Oh, I, uh, I'm going to, if I remove that thatch, it's going to develop again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so what's the, what's the solution not to remove it? So, so I shouldn't remove the thatch, vertical, vertical mow or hand rake it because it might grow back. I mean, it's absurd. I mean, come on. So anyway, whatever. I just, this is, this is why I, I, I consider myself uh, neurodiverse. Just, just who sits and laughs about this stuff? This thing was written when I was, I was 1977. I was 13 months old when this thing was written. And I, here I am. 46 years later laughing about it. I mean, who does that? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Oh, Lord. All right, the wedding agent treatment did not effectively reduce thatch during any sampling year. The hy hypothesis for testing a wedding agent was that it would allow the thatch to become wet and thereby increase the composition. Uh, another, another study reported that a wedding agent increased thatch accumulation. They found that the wedding agent allowed the thatch to become wet faster, but thatch then dried faster and the drier thatch condition probably reduced decomposition. We did not find the wedding agent increased thatch beyond that at the control. The wedding agent is not really going to have an effect on thatch production, guys. It's, I, don't have, I don't fault them for testing it. That's fine. You know, no problem. Test it for sure. They didn't find anything. And I wouldn't expect to see any benefit from applying wedding agents in terms of thatch accumulation for or against it. Uh, thatch accumulation was greater for plots with molorganite than for the check possibly because of greater root or greater total growth of the turf from added nutrients or of the added organic material itself. So it, you applied more nitrogen, it grew faster. Not, not, not rocket science. There was a lot more, uh, there was more thatch produced from milorganite. I'll show that in a second. Airification produced the highest quality turf followed by milorganite treatment. Turf quality was not increased on plots that were vertical mode, hand raked or sprayed with wetting agents. So that injury to the turf that was vertical mode and hand raked and weed in invasion following these treatments resulted in lower mean quality ratings. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> the reduction in turf quality and the decrease in leaf spot damage by using the wetting agent as compared to the check was probably due to faster drying of the turf or less dew formation. There was a, there was a little bit of a, um, an increase in this interest about five or 10 years ago where someone went out with um, a wetting agent and sprayed it on their fairways and the next, and they didn't finish it. And the next morning they went out and, and when they were still doing the grass and one half the fairway had no dew on it and the other half did the half that they put the wetting agent on had no dew on it and the other half still had dew on it and it is they look they act like it was like some sort of you know paradigm shift in turf grass management right oh my gosh look at this wetting agents do this you should start applying it for dew suppression in the morning and, and it's all these great things yeah i know we've known about this for 46 years it says it right here Using wetting agents as compared to the check was probably due to faster drying of the turf or less dew formation. So it's just an example how this stuff's already in the literature. We just lose track of it. You're busy doing whatever. You're not reading these articles. It's not being um, uh, communicated. It's, we're just sitting on a shelf somewhere. No one's reading these articles. And so 
you know, you lose track of it. And all of a sudden someone comes around and says, oh, this will suppress dew formation. Yeah, I know it will. Don't don't freak out about it. That's you know, we've known about it for 40 years. So maybe that's why, you know, like I'm enjoying doing this channel because I'm bringing, you know, I'm showing this. This is well known. It, it, it will do that. And we've known about it for ages. So um, uh, anyway, he, he points, puts it out right here. The addition of organic matter as milorganite increased turf quality and increased damage caused by leaf spot, uh, probably because of the growth response of the turf grass to added nutrients. See, this is, this is um, I don't forget the name of this, but um, it's almost like a, um, I don't, it's not a false equivalency, but it's like they're saying it's a result of the organic matter. And then they're saying it's a result of the added nutrients in the same sentence. They're, they're conflating two different things. They don't know if it was a result of, um, the added organic matter from l organite. It's, it's likely that it wasn't. They added more nitrogen they added more phosphorus from l organite, you know, Occam's razor would, would tell you that that's likely the, the, the reason why they saw an increase in organic matter from L-organite was from the N and the P that they applied, not from the carbon that they applied. Airified turf had the least thatch accumulation and the highest quality and the least amount of damage. So right there, airification is basically the way to go. Airification had the least thatch accumulation, the highest quality, and the least amount of damage from leaf spot. A pretty easy sentence to read. The vertical mode and hand rake treatments prevented thatch buildup, but did not affect turf quality. Okay. Wetting agent had little influence on thatch accumulation or quality. Okay. Addition of milorganite significantly increased thatch accumulation and leaf spot damage. Okay. Milorganite again getting beat up. There was another article I talked to a while back where milorganite got beat up early again, where it resulted in some deleterious effects. However, turf quality was increased with, with milorganite. The lack of correspondence between the reduction of thatch by some treatments and an increase in turf quality or decrease in leaf spot damage was probably because the influence on thatch level of a treatment could not be separated from the other effects of the treatment, such as airification, nutrient level, injury to the turf, and so forth. In other words, they don't know exactly if it was from this pro component or that component. They just said it was from that product or that treatment. Um, lime treatments continued to reduce thatch accumulation with the largest reduction on plots from which clippings were not removed. Residue from clippings contributed significantly to the thatch layer with the greatest contribution in turf growing on soils with a low pH. Um, and I'll come to the end analysis of the thatch soil profile of certain treatments or combinations of treatments in this experiment showed that application twice a year were not necessary to maintain an acceptable thatch level. Verification once a year without lime application or removal of clippings or less than once a year with lime and removal of clippings probably could not or could have presented excessive prevented excessive thatch development. Vertical mowing and hand rake treatments in combination with lime applications with either clipping treatment once a year probably could have prevented the thatch problem from developing as well. So they had a couple um, so, uh, conclusions there. I did want to show the the tables before I go about the, um, that's leaf spot damage, thatch accumulation. Okay, so thatch accumulation of um, from these treatments are in a table format, so you have a chance to see it when clippings were removed. I'm looking at a table here, table three, where we have treatments of milorganite, hand raking the thatch, non doing nothing, the wetting agent, the vertical mowing, and the airification treatments. And we have where clippings were removed, and we have it where clippings were not removed. And I've highlighted the, um, oh, I meant to highlight the check. I highlighted the wetting agent. Sorry, let me delete that. I meant to highlight the check here. The, um, let's see if I can highlight that. No. Um, yeah, I meant to highlight the check. So the check here is, um, 
going to be where we're comparing the the, cha- the changes from. And this is where they're talking about the influence of milorganite, where milorganite increased the thatch weight, organic matter per twenty eight point six square centimeters. Where you see that's the only treatment um, that when the clippings were not removed, the clipping so the clippings remained on the plots. Milorganite in, uh, resulted in an increase in thatch, whereas the only other uh, treatments that resulted in a decrease when the th- when the clippings were not removed or vertical mowing and airification. So vertical mowing and airification, in this case, if you're leaving the clippings on the plots, were the only two management practices that would have resulted in a, or that did result in a reduction in thatch, the way they measured it. When the clippings were removed, okay, that's when the clippings were left on the plots. When the clippings were removed from the plots, there was a little bit of a difference here and there, but milorganite didn't affect it. We see an E here and an E here. Milorganite didn't have an effect. We do see the hand raking was the was the product or was the um uh treatment that resulted in a reduction in thatch when the clippings were removed from the plots so with the clippings remained it was vertical mowing and airification and if the clippings were removed the only thing that affected it was the hand raking so in the in those three treatments hand raking it out vertical mowing so um and, and airifying were three treatments that that could have an, a, a beneficial impact on the thatch development and let me go to the last there's one more i thought there was one more um thatch accumulation and coming okay so this is thatch accumulation it's a little bit more clear here i guess it's a little bit um more obvious i suppose that the table five is thatch accumulation in common kentucky bluegrass following eight years of management treatments and again 14 months after so this, this first call, we're looking at all the treatments, same treatments, milorganite, the non-treated, the wetting agent, vertical mowing, hand raking, and airification. And we're looking here at the organic matter development and the thatch. And we're looking at December 1972, which is when the study ended. And then February 1973, um, turf falling, eight years of management treatments, and again, 14 months afterwards oh this isn't 14 months though well one way or the other uh the check is 16.49 and in 1972 and 16.88 in 1973 you're going to see that morganite resulted in an increase in, in organic matter in the thatch on both years and nothing else in 1973 resulted in a reduction everything was the same as the non-treated check at, at the end of 19 or in february 1973 I think this might be an error because I think this might mean I think this might mean need to be 1974. I don't know, but in, when the study ended, right when it ended, we did see that vertical mowing, hand raking, and airification resulted in a reduction in organic matter in the thatch. Okay, so right when it ended, so it so they were doing the treatments, doing the treatments, they were they were do, doing the study over and over and over, and at the end, they sh- showed vertical mowing, hand raking, and airification resulted in a reduction. When they stopped doing all the treatments and they just went back 14 months later, this is what this is, again, 14 months after treatments, those treatments that had a beneficial um, effect on thatch no longer uh, were able to be documented to have that response. They no longer measured that benefit. So you can't do it basically once and then, you know, I'll come back in four or five years because it's probably going to sustain that benefit for no it's not going to sustain that benefit more than likely under these at least that's what these data say 
it's not going to sustain that benefit. You're only going to see it if you continue to do it either every year or every other year. you got to stay on a program to keep that thatch down. Stopping it is going to result in all that thatch coming back to the back to equivalent of doing nothing. And the effect of lime, pretty clear on the effect of lime when looking at table six, the thatch accumulation common to Kentucky bluegrass, the effect of lime at the end, and uh, and clipping treatments 14 months after the last application of various management treatments. So I just want to say that not doing anything was 5.4. Twice a year ended up in 6.2. As needed, the pH ended up at 6.8. And you see when the clippings were not removed, they re- remained on the plots. It, res- it resulted in an increase in the thatch according to these results. And when they were removed, uh, well, this looks, I don't, I'm not sure what went on here. It doesn't seem. I'm not sure what's going on here with these letters. I'm not sure, but uh, the the average or the, the mean of the removed and not removed, we did see an increase. Um, I'm sorry, we did see a decrease. Uh, with lime either applied twice a year or as needed we saw a decrease from 18.6 to 16.3 grams per 28.6 uh, square centimeter so we saw a benefit from applying lime is what they did okay in this particular case but that doesn't mean that you should go out and start throwing out lime because this this particular study showed that because we, we actually find in some of the other literature that application of lime has no effect which i've already shown at least one paper that showed that it's going to be dependent upon your location, the magnitude of where your pH is already at, the the magnitude of the thatch, the type of turf grass that you're dealing with. There's a lot of factors that are going to go into this and your decision whether or not you should spend money going out and liming your soil if you're trying to to manage thatch. Uh, And I I would be inclined to not include lime and not pay for it. unless I mean, if I got it for free, that's different. Your pH is five. Go ahead and put it out if it's free. But if you're paying for it, you need to be mindful that this is not a one size fit all. What was the what was the line Dr. Bigelow said? Your mileage may vary. Okay, on, on thatch. Okay. But but this paper did show that airification, verticutting, and the um, hand raking did have a benefit, not under all conditions, but the hand raking and airification was fairly consistent. Okay. The I'm sorry, the hand, I'm sorry, the vertical mowing and airification was fair, fairly consistent. The hand raking um, worked in one or two years, but not in the others. Okay. So <clears throat> that's the reason I don't like thatch <laughs> because I can't provide a reliable recommendation. If someone calls me up and says, do I need to remove this thatch? How do I do it? How do I remove this thatch? I can't, I can't tell you with much confidence what you should and shouldn't do because there's so much variation in the literature. What might work for one one location on this turf might not work for the same location on a different turf. Okay, it might not. In general, airification and verticutting is generally your best bet. Um, but it, I can't always say that. It might not always see a beneficial response from those two management practices. Okay, guys? Um, so this is coming down to the end of the week. Today's Thursday. I'll be back next week on Monday and Tuesday only. There is a small chance. I haven't checked my kids' school schedule yet. There's a small chance that they're out of school on those days. I don't think they're out of school, but I know some counties are out of school for the whole week. I think they're out of school just on Wednesday. Make, make the long story short is I'll, I'll be here on Monday and Tuesday, assuming that my kids are in school. Um, if not, then it'll be the following week. So Monday, Tuesday, next week at 10 a.m. And then the following week, we'll resume our normal schedule. Okay, guys. 
Well, I, that's it. I got. That's all I have for you guys today. Uh, I don't see any. Let me read the text. Travis Morgan in the text says a high school artificial turf field can be used for high school football and soccer, middle school football and soccer, and youth football and soccer, and probably more all on the same field. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that's coming about the artificial turf versus natural turf. Um, okay, guys. That's all I got. Have a great rest of your week and a good weekend. I'll see you back here on um, Monday morning at 10 a.m. Have a good week. Be kind. Bye.